Welcome to the Happy Ram Podcast. I am Ted Clark, joined as always by Barnabas Piper and Pipe. Uh, I'm on the road, so if the if the audio sounds a little bit different to the audience, that's why I'm in uh, New Smyrna Beach, Florida, on spring break, which is a thing that adults still get to do, provided those adults work in academia. So um, spring break is weird, man. Like it, it's sort of. It's sort of the college feeling in that you feel pressure to do something cool in the same way you felt pressure to do something cool when you were in college, except that I'm old now and I feel like I shouldn't feel the same pressure. But uh, but yet there it is. Um, I'm really looking forward to my kids being able to travel for spring break without me because right mm -hmm. now they're on spring break, which basically means I have to figure out how to do my job and keep them happy at the same time. That's a challenge. Yeah. Keeping keeping them happy under the best of circumstances is a challenge, but yeah, you throw in like your job, they're at home. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It truly is. So, um, so yeah, we have uh, we have dropped the kids with grandparents for a little bit and uh, and are enjoying a little bit of time away. But um, Piper, one thing that that people will say about this or could say about it is that it's an adventure. Um, that's the thing that people say about a lot of things. About everything, as far as I can tell. Dude, yeah, everything is an adventure. Um, why, why is this? When, when, in fact, really nothing is an adventure. There's nothing adventurous about a middle-aged guy taking a vacation with his family. Like, this is the opposite of an adventure. I feel like this is, this is the leveled-up version of what we talked about a few months ago when, when everything is a narrative and a story, you know? Dude, um, right. And so the narrative and a story. Well, like, advent- yeah. adventure is – those are the most fun stories. So, right. you know, people are like, I'm, you know, I'm starting out on this adventure called college or this adventure called marriage yeah. or this adventure called a new job. And I'm like, those aren't adventures. That's – Standard. That's, that's the be, most normal just, thing. Yeah, be, being a grown-up, that's doing stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, if someone were to like, you know, swashbuckle into the hotel and like start waving around daggers and like threatening to take it over, that would be an adventure, right? Or like, that, if if you're a whitewater rafting guide, like then your job is yeah. an adventure every day. If you work Absolutely. in book marketing, like somebody on this podcast does, um, <laughs> yeah. I I don't consider my job an adventure. I I enjoy it, but those those are not the same thing. Dude, can we talk about book marketing for a second before we get back to adventure? <laughs> sure, I have, sure. I feel I feel like there, there there might this might be an airing of grievances. Dude, it might be. I I'm, I just want to complain about one thing, which I, I realize this is this is the epitome of a first world problem. In the sense that, like, I know a lot of people who would like to have book deals and like to have this problem. So, um, apologies in advance for what I'm about to to air grievances about, but. Uh, the publisher that's doing the book that I have coming out soon, the, the little graphic novel, um, I got the email from the person in marketing saying for me to put together my my influencer list. Do you know this this email? I spent all morning today in meetings about how to work with authors on influencer lists. So I am deeply Dude, acquainted, acquainted with, you come up with both sides of this. Give me some wisdom, man. Lay some wisdom on me because here's my dilemma. Here's what happens every time. Every so I've done like 25 books, and every time I do a book, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep this influencer list thing like in a file. I'm just going to save it so that next time, you know, next time I do a book, I can just attach it to an email and be done with it. The problem is, I endeavor to do that, but I think I never do, or at least I never do in a place where I can find it. So I find myself having to like recreate 
the uh, the influencer list each and every time. And I feel like there's like eight people in the world that I feel comfortable asking for stuff. And then everything else is BS. You know, every other name that I put on this list is just completely bogus. Like, yeah, send them a book. But, you know, I, I don't want them to know that it comes from me. You know what I mean? Well, and um, and, and here, there, there's another layer of like who do we put on this list because – you know, I imagine if you and I put together influencer lists, mm-hmm. we, there would be like somewhere between 30 and 60% overlap. Yeah, and probably. a huge portion yeah. of those names would be on every other white reform dude's influencer <laughs> list. Yeah, that's true. Having grown up in the house of somebody who was on a lot of influencer lists. Dude, you um, guys probably average how many free books a week? Would come to the Piper household. I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure more came to the church than, than yeah, that's home true. because that's the yeah. that was the the public address that people could find. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, you know what my dad does with those books? Mm. Well, what he does now is he just collects them in a stack and then mm-hmm. brings them to the church and gives them to the college and seminary students or library and is like, "Hey, anybody want free books?" Sure. Yeah, and. Which is a, a great thing to do for which is all way those. more gracious than what he could have done with them. Well, or what yeah, I, I mean, I, it, yeah. it just th- this is the problem. Like influential people get so much free stuff that your book doesn't matter to them. Yes, that's right. And so the only way to do anything with an influencer list that matters is to reach out to people who aren't that important but who actually care. Yeah, you know how I handle the influencer list. I. I make a list of people who I want to have a free book and who I know like really want it, but either can't afford it or wouldn't, you know, wouldn't necessarily go and buy it. Like, and I just put them on the list, which is probably like, um, anathema to, to people who care about this sort of thing vocationally. So, and I, I do, I put a few names on there of people who truly do have influence. So don't hear me saying that I completely make a mockery of it, but just like a semi mockery, I guess. Yeah, if, if the publisher doesn't recognize any of the names on there, they're like, Ted, yeah, Ted. how this works. This looks like a list of your friends who you just want to have a free copy of the book. How come like, 14 ah. people on this list have the last name Cluck? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, I, man. Well, it's, I, I think this is part of the reason why like the launch team is such mm-hmm. a, a buzzy thing. Of course, Michael Hyatt is also to blame for that, and as he is for many other marketing things. Many things. But uh, – but that that idea of gathering around a group of people who are excited about your work as opposed to people who are really influential because most influential people have their own work they are trying to promote. They're not terribly sure, sure. interested in promoting Absolutely. yours, whereas there's a ton of people on Facebook and with blogs and with you know Instagram accounts who just – they would – they feel thrilled to be part of this and if you give them a free book and seven minutes of attention – yeah, they'll, they'll pimp the bejesus out of your book, and uh, right, and so like that's kind of what you're doing, but without any of the actual like buzziness, right? So, dude, it begs the question: Should I just be like, you know, giving twenty copies of this book out to twenty of my best students who are the most popular and the the most active on social media, and just being like, hey, talk about this? Would that work as well as sending it to like Joe Thorne, who's going to like throw it in a pile? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, it would work as well as sending it to Joe Thorne, who would throw it in a pile. Yes, there there might there might be a middle ground between those two. The idea yeah. being that you would want to find people who are the market for the book. So, like, sure, sure. It, in the case of your your graphic novel, that's either going to be thirteen uh, year olds 
yeah. or it's going to be the dads of 13 year olds who remember being a, you know, a middle school half jock. And yeah. so I think that's, but that is the launch team idea is you find people who would like this and just get them to tell their friends about it. And yeah, I, and honestly, as an author, I hate the launch team thing. Like I, yeah, I sort of half did one for a book earlier and it, you know, it makes an, it makes an impact because you get a whole bunch of Amazon reviews right out of the gate and that has an effect, but yeah, it's so much work and you, you just, I ended up feeling like I needed to go take like four or five showers to wash off the, Oh dude. Yes. I, I still it. agree. Dude, you know what? I've never asked for an Amazon review and like my, my career is probably markedly worse off because of it, but, but I, at least, at least I've never groveled, you know, like I just, I hate it. I hate this part of the business. And this is, uh, this is your chance, Ted. Cause we, we yeah. have, we have thousands of listeners. Dude, you're right. Pipe. Some, some yes. of them have probably read some of your books or some of my books, or we'll pretend that we'll pretend that, that, uh, Ronnie is here as well, or some of Ronnie's yeah. books. So this is your chance to ask for Amazon reviews on behalf of your work. Oh, Pipe, this is why you're a genius. This is why you're a marketing genius, truly. Like, I'm so glad we had this talk. This talk has been an adventure. But um, <laughs> It has. I yeah, mean, it's so, wandered to and fro already. It's wandered to and fro. So what I'm going to do, I, I want to ask our listeners to go to Amazon when my new book comes out. It's called uh, Flex, The Extraordinary Life of a Mediocre Jock. Um, it's coming out on um, on, on Harvest House. Har- Harvest House uh, is the name of the label that it's coming out on. <laughs> So I'm so glad you remembered that. So glad I remembered the <laughs> name of the publisher. So go write a fawning review of it. And listen, I'll I'll, I'll do you one better. Um, Piper, I'm going to open it up to the first five of our listeners who reach out via Twitter, Facebook, whatever. If they want to send their addresses in a PM, I'll put them on the influencer list. Look for my at book. that. You get to be yeah. part of the launch team, listeners. You get to be part you. of the launch team. You get to be part of something very special. And you'll get a very special form letter from me that I will write. Like, I never let the publisher write these form letters. So, like, I'm always writing the form letter. Uh, They will get that from me, and they will get um, an envelope from Harvest House containing a copy of my book. So, uh, first five I can tell listeners that uh, I – Ted asked me to endorse this, and rather than doing the the, – endorse the author without looking at the book, I actually read it um, because it had pictures. And (laughs) – and I really enjoyed it because it is it is a great book for uh, people who are like between the ages of, say, nine and 13, particularly mm-hmm. boys uh, or people who used to be between the ages of nine and 13. And so therefore middle schoolers as well as uh, as well as athletes. So it's, it's just it's a fun story. It's a father son story. Uh, and it's it's not sappy. It's funny. But yeah. it also says lots of true things. Uh, and I enjoyed it a lot and I appreciate so, it listeners. You guys should get this dude. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the, uh, the endorsement, which because you and I are in the business pipe, we can tell which endorsements have been dashed off very, um, half. Well, yeah, just dashed off and, um, and which ones have been, have been thoughtful. Yours was very thoughtful and, uh, and I appreciate that. So, um, so thanks for doing that pipe. Hang on. I'm going to open uh, a soda. Okay. All right. This is the sound of me opening a soda in my studio. All right. Wow. Now I'm um, thirsty. Just hearing that sound. 
Dude, exactly. That's live radio, though. This is this is raw, unfiltered live radio. Just, try not, to, just try not to slurp too loud. Nobody likes that. No, no one likes that. You're absolutely right. Um, pipe. What what more do we have to say about this adventure issue? About people calling everything an adventure when it's not an adventure? I, I think another another aspect of this, and maybe this is fresh in my mind because I'm in Florida, and it's also fresh in my mind because I'm talking to someone with the last name of Piper. I think retirement is often <laughs> referred to as an adventure. And your dad is like the most strident anti-retirement dude, which I dig about him. And um, because I'm pretty anti-retirement too. But I, I, I get down here, I see people doing a whole lot of nothing and calling it an adventure. Have you, uh, have you noticed this phenomenon? Well, I, I think most things that people call adventures are a whole lot of nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's – if you call college an adventure or if you call – if you call your, you know, a new job an adventure, like there's, yeah, it, it, th- those are largely mundane things that that huge sure. numbers of people do, right? Like you're you're embarking on something that the vast majority of people in our walk of life do, which is to go to college for four or five years and then get out and then get a job. Like right. that's the like an, an adventure would be to do not one of those things. You know what I mean? Is what, um, yeah, I guess what it, what is the I'm curious what the psychology is behind this. Like people's is yes. it is it thrill seeking? Is it trying to give more excitement and purpose to things that are I mean, honestly, college and jobs pretty inherently meaningful all by themselves. They have great sure. significance. So, I don't yeah. understand why we need to make them like epic. why we need to put the like flashing neon epic. lights on them. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I really think yeah, I think you're onto something there in that you know, people will try to take the mundane and talk it up in such a way that it sounds, you know, meaningful. And, and I mean, we see this in spiritual terms, too, in that, you know, people will do what they want to do and then say, well, you know, God, God called me to this. God called me to this specific retirement community in Florida where I play golf and, you know, go swimming all the live long day. But, but God called me to it, and it's an adventure. You know what I mean? So in a way, it's nobilizing something that's probably at best value neutral. Um, and I think – I don't think you have to tell people to do that. I think people – that's hardwired into people. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I Yeah, I, I think I think people are constantly trying to enhance the value of – the normalcy of their life, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. it, it, I mean, we, you and I have written books, um, and, and we both are well aware of the fact of how little that actually changed our lives. Absolutely. I mean, it, yeah. it does because it's, it, it has some significance, but the fact is that like when I wrote my first book, I think I've even talked about this on the podcast. I wrote my first book. I wake up the day it's released and, yeah. and I felt exactly like I had the day before. Yeah, correct. Because yep. nothing changed. And and yet there are people who like when they release their book, they're like this, you know, they they talk about it like giving birth and like all these different things and I'm yeah, like Yeah. I'm like I maybe I'm out of touch. I don't know, but it just No, I'm with you, man. It didn't feel like giving birth at all. It felt like just it, another day except a day that Except yeah, except that people could buy this thing now. And that yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and hopefully some of them did and then left Amazon reviews with five stars. Um, Absolutely. The street team, the launch team. Hint, Dude, hint. see, for me, like, 
writing the first book was an adventure. I mean, in that I was traveling all over the country interviewing these guys that fought Tyson, and it was, you know, nerve-wracking slash borderline dangerous at See, times. See, having read but, that book, there, there's, there are actually accounts of adventure in there. Like, you, yeah. you might get punched, or you might get shot, or these people are unpredictable. <laughs> exactly. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, sure. That's adventurous. Sure. Yeah, exactly. But but the book actually releasing was the opposite of adventurous. It was just another item going on sale that happened to have my name on it. Um, and there's a big difference between a challenge and an adventure too. Like I did not right. feel like writing my first book was an adventure. I did feel like it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can write this many words about a single thing. I've never done this before. Right. And, but – but sitting in one place, staring at a screen, writing words is is kind of the opposite of adventurous, actually. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. pretty. It's pretty. Pretty, it's pretty predictable. Pretty, pretty yeah, predictable, it's pretty it's predictable. Yeah, in that you know you have to go into the room, you have to produce some words. You know, a day in which you produce words is a good day. A yeah. day in which you fail to is a bad day. And some of it's uh, really enjoyable, and some of it's a grind, yeah. and, and that's fine. But none of it is adventurous. Dude, that's the very definition of work, though. I mean, that's like what our dads did every day of their lives. You know, God bless them, too, because I don't know. They they provided all the crap that we needed when we were growing up, which is what we're trying to do for our kids. So what um, when people when people do this whole adventure thing, what are they setting themselves up for? I feel like I feel like they're setting themselves up for perpetual disappointment, because when you call a bunch of things that aren't adventure adventure, you're you're going to be inherently disappointed with them. Yes, you are. So deep down, you're going to be inherently disappointed. But I would add to that, they are about the business of curating their personas in such a way that it looks like an adventure, even though it doesn't feel like an adventure to them, if that makes sense. So let's say, you know, let's say you're a a fairly average middle-aged guy and you take a you take a vacation with your family and you're you know, Instagramming pictures of the mountains and the, the coastline or whatever, and you're calling it an adventure, like deep down, you know that it's not. And deep down, you know that like you've just driven a, a huge long way to have some experience that's, you know, there are things about it that are nice. There are things about it that are not nice, whatever, but it's not an adventure, you know, um, and you know it and everyone else knows it, but you're you're about the business of curating your persona in such a way that it looks like an adventure. Um, I just think that's where, that's where most people are at headspace wise. Um, and I think pipe having adventures is sort of, I put it on the same level as being a writer. I mean, there's nothing more obnoxious than somebody walking into a room saying, I'm a writer, I'm a writer, I'm a writer. Um, <laughs> that's so true. That is a so close true. second to that is someone walking into a room saying, I have adventures. I have adventures. I have adventures. Yeah. It's, yeah I mean, like if we were going to put together like a top five, most annoying self labels, I think, um, yeah. I think writer, mm-hmm. even if it's true, I mean, un- unless yeah. here's the thing, unless you're employed by a publication to write, Yes. You know, yeah. if you're like a staff yeah. writer somewhere, that's different. But like if you yeah. if you if you write some crap on the Internet and then you brag about being a writer, uh, right. storyteller, no oh, adventure. Don't even get me started on storyteller. Yeah. Get I out mean, of here with that. Well, but yeah. but here's the thing. If if uh, if all of life is this grand narrative and a story, then being a storyteller just means you get to talk about yourself. Um, I think these storyteller people, they, they, they don't have kids. You know what I mean? If you have kids and you're like wiping butts and noses and like putting shoes on people each morning yeah, and trying to get car, them out the door, carpooling you, for half your life. 
Dude, right. You know that life is not a grand adventure. Life is an exercise in logistics. Um, it's, it's getting people from point A to point B and not like snapping at them. Well, how That's do, what most how, of my days comes down to. Yeah. How, how know? in the world do people like, I mean, I, I think it's the persona thing you were talking about just a minute ago. I think that's probably exactly what it is. But like people spin being a parent of young children into, they're like, Oh, this, this adventure called parenting. Mm, and I'm like yeah. that it's, it's, it's not an adventure. No, no, not really. You know, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of hard work that is occasionally rewarding. Um, and it, and it, you know, by God's grace, it has like nice aspects and nice moments, but it's not an adventure. I mean, it's normal. And if, I mean, it's, it's perpetuating the species. It's what everyone has done. Every time I try to set up some element of parenting in an adventurous way, like I'm going to take my kids out and we're going to do something fun. Yes. I'm, I'm setting myself up for disappointment. Massive disappointment. Not because my kids are disappointments, but because like the expectation level of like it's going to be this amazing day with laughs and memories and like inevitably one of my kids is just in the worst mood or something, and then I and then I'm in the worst mood, and so like the adventure just becomes a a, you know a glum fest. Every Chevy Chase movie from the '80s followed that exact (laughs) storyline, and and I've lived that so many times. Like I tried to take my kids to. there's this really awesome Shiloh Civil War battlefield down by by where we live. It's really it's like legitimately great. It's right mm-hmm. by a river. It's gorgeous. Um, you know, there were several days of like Civil War battles in the in this place. And you know, I'm I'm like low key kind of a nerd for the Civil War. So um, there's a great museum there and all this stuff you can see. And I took the it's kids. A good thing was, half our state is named after Confederate generals. Dude, right? It was a massive failure though. You know, the kids did nothing but complain the whole time about how bored they were and how hungry they were. And, oh, it was the worst. It was the opposite of an adventure. It was just like, I'm an old man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a failing old man and a parent, and this sucks. Yeah, I can, right? I can just picture your manic smile like, hey, kids, we're having so much fun, aren't we? Right, kids? Right, kids? Fun, fun, <laughs> right, right, isn't right. it? Dude, see, I don't do that. I go into like a glum, like silent anger when when my kids disappoint me in that way so <laughs> yeah i mean i'm the worst i immediately start chewing my kids out for not having fun like this is a good time and you're gonna this like is it. amazing how can you not recognize this yeah yeah <laughs> oh, oh it's terrible what an Dude, adventure you know what, you know what another thing is that's not amazing yet people people will do this on the on the regular open mic nights um <laughs> this was a, this was a listener's suggestion this and Dude, I, no, I thought I it was it. genius Dude, here, here's what I love about open mic nights. Um, the movie So I Married an Axe Murderer from the yes. 90s. Do you remember this? Oh, I love this. With Mike Myers. This is the, yes. this is the ultimate open mic night movie. In that Mike Myers is I, – I love this movie for so many reasons. But Mike Myers is, quote, unquote, a poet in the movie. And this is, this is allegedly his day job. So he lives in this little, like, hipster writer's garret in San Francisco where it costs, like – million a year to live in real life. And he drives this little hipster convertible. And apparently his job is to write poems. And his name is Charlie McKenzie in the movie. And Charlie McKenzie goes to these open mic nights and he reads his poems and everyone like snaps their fingers in response. And I remember watching this movie in the nineties and going, this is the job that I want. You know, this, this, this is where I see myself. Any job where I can get paid to use the phrase hard-hearted harbinger of haggis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Harriet. And he woos some girl that works in a butcher shop and it's charming. Um, so 
my my framework of open mic nights is largely colored by the movie. Um, so I married an axe murderer, but I, I have to tell you, I've never gone as a reader to an open mic night. Um, because in real life, they strike me as deeply sad. Um, Piper, what, what say you about open mic nights? I, I think there, I think there are only two groups of people who go to open mic nights. Well, there uh-huh. are three. There are the innocent bystanders who didn't realize it was open mic night and they are like, ah, we can get up and go find another place or we can suffer through bad music and poetry. Mm-hmm. Or they are people with no sense of self-awareness or the yeah. loved ones of those with no sense of self-awareness who have yet to yeah. tell those people you don't have any self-awareness. Right. That's everybody right. at an open mic night. So you, you raised a fascinating question on the first topic, and I'll, I'll do the same here. I'm interested in the, in the psychology slash the philosophy behind the open mic night. And I think maybe, Piper, some of this is generational in that I think I'm of the generation where – Unless someone is asking for the product, i.e. unless there's a market for my poetry or my short story or whatever, like I'm not giving them the product. You know what I mean? Because I assume that they don't want it. Um, Whereas open mic night assumes people do want the product. They just don't know it yet. Therefore, I'm going to give them the product. Um, Uh, is this is this generational? Where where are you coming from with this? Well, and yeah, or just the the mindset of like being discovered. It's it's sort of like mm-hmm. I feel like open mic nights are the original YouTube. Oh, interesting. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's the thing that you did because you're like maybe somebody out there is my is my key to fame. You know, and you're right. Course, maybe there's a rep from some publishing company, or maybe there's like a Hollywood casting executive in the audience tonight. Right. Yeah. And, so I mean, obviously, yeah. I'm I'm coming from from a mindset right now that is in Nashville where there's live music everywhere and Mm -hmm. some of it's excellent. Most of it is mediocre to less than mediocre. And and I guarantee that, that a huge number of people are trying to be discovered by playing in the, the airport bars and the coffee shops and wherever else. And so I think that, but I think that's part of it. And yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there are some people who just do it for the love of the game. You know, they yeah. just oh, for sure, for sure. It, and usually, you can tell who those people are because they have the least pretense. Yeah, and they just there's just an ease and and a, like a happiness about them. And if and if everybody yeah. in an open mic night was like that, it would yeah. be much more enjoyable. But but you can tell that most people are trying to to be discovered or to to impress. And, yeah, yeah, and it's just it's sort of it's sort Dude, of I sad. I was in Memphis one time and uh, I was at this place, this uh, establishment, and it was it was not the evening. It was like the middle of the day. And um, so not prime time. And there was this dude playing on a stage like it was the like it was Wembley Stadium. You know what? He was he was playing it like it was a huge rock show and it was amazing. Like the guy just had no. He had like a blissful lack of self-awareness in that, like, he's just like, you know what? I'm going for it. I know I'm playing some divey bar in Memphis at two o'clock on a Wednesday, but I'm just, I'm going to play it like it's Wembley. Um, I think those, at the end of the day, like those are the people I respect. I, I, think, um, I think that that encapsulates uh, risky creative ventures really well mm-hmm. because they're the mm-hmm. saddest thing in the world until they aren't. Right. They're the saddest thing in the world until they hit. And then you're like, oh yeah, you know, this, this has legs. This is a real thing. This could work. 
Um, see also every, you know, speculative movie script I've ever written or TV, you know, TV pilot or whatever. I mean, you just, you keep kind of, you know, pounding away at it until something pops. And then when it pops, you're legitimate, you know? So yeah, I think that the difference with that is like to, to make a film you need, like you have to invest in it. To do an open mic, right. you you know, I, I can sit down and I can jot down a crap poem in eight minutes and go read it at a microphone. And to Dude, be that's fair, true. that's yeah. what a lot of open mic nights sound like. Whereas, right. a, a, you know, a speculative movie script. Right, 120 pages of is, script. You don't dash for, that off. Well, and yeah. for it to be anything for an audience requires all of the investment in the – in the filming and the production and sure. the post production and the the you know sure, distribution, sure. yeah, and that's you know that's a whole different investment. So even if it's a trash movie, mm-hmm. there was a ton of investment in that trash movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Pipe, we've got time for one last topic, and this one is is interesting and it's more serious. Um, it concerns Bible reading, personal Bible reading. Um, what do we think of plans, and how do we approach it? And I'll. I guess I'll go first in saying I have done several read through the Bible in a year plans or read through the Bible in a half a year. Um, I have liked all of them. Like I've, I've liked the structure of that. I think the thing that I liked the structure of the most, I used to be a part of this thing called Bible study fellowship, Mm -hmm. which is this really uncool, like old man's Bible study group in which you get like, you get a really long worksheet and in order to be able to talk at the meeting the next week, you have to complete the entire worksheet. Um, and it's really structured and I really miss it. Actually, we had it in the old Metro area that we used to live in and we don't have it now, but, um, I wonder how you approach this and what you think of Bible reading plans and kind of what works for you. Uh, I've, I think I've probably tried just about everything. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, I've, I've done read through the Bible plans multiple times, different kinds, you know, so some of them where it's almost like a straight through and others where you're taking, you know, four or five sections or thematic or whatever. Um, and, and I find a lot of value in all those. Um, I think the biggest value for those is, is twofold. One is the consistency, just, you know, something that keeps you on track in scripture is invaluable. <clears throat> and then the second is it exposes you to all of the Bible. Cause I think if most people went willingly, they would read like Genesis and the yeah. gospels and maybe some epistles and Psalms and Proverbs, and they would miss huge chunks of the Bible because it's, it's not terribly convenient or easy to understand. Right. Um, so the exposure across the board, however, I do think there's also an element where we, we miss, uh, quality for quantity. Yeah, I agree. You know, to read through the Bible in a year, it's like four chapters a day, three and a half chapters a day. And that's Yeah, you find yourself just kind of plowing through it. Yeah. Know? And and especially I mean there might be stretches where but like if you're reading that much scripture every day, mm-hmm. it's hard to study. It's hard to reflect. It's hard to meditate. It's hard to do any of those things. So I have moved into something where I, I'm more alternate. So for the last I'd say year, year and a half, I do much more like take small portions yeah. And, um, and just spend more time in them and do more sort of journaling on it. So observations, reflections, prayers, uh, trying to learn a little bit more about praying through scripture instead of just, yeah. uh, instead of just reading it. 
and and I find that to be really beneficial. But the the most consistent thing for me is mm-hmm. a need for change. Mm. So every yeah. maybe every six or twelve months, I switch Bible versions or I switch plans. You know, I switch it. You know, I, I go back to a, a more lengthy. You know, read through the New Testament or read through the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and then I jump to a devotional. Like I've mentioned, Tim Keller's "The Songs of Jesus," walking through the Psalms, sort of bit by bit. Yeah. All of it is great. It's just yep. a matter of I, I can't keep doing the same thing perpetually, or I get I get stale. No, I totally get that. And dude, for me, something that's been really, really good lately has been commentaries. So like huh. I'll read, yeah, I'll read a chapter. Like my, my guy is, uh, is James Montgomery Boyce. Like I'm super into Boyce and I'll just read like a chapter from one of his commentaries. And it usually takes me, you know, two or three days to really like, you know, deep dive into a chapter and then Boyce's commentary on it. But, uh, but I'm loving it, man. And I feel like i I'm learning a lot. I'm able to do it at my own pace. And it feels like, to me, the opposite of just like, you know, cramming through four or five chapters a day just to to kind of check the box. So um, I see value in both. But I think where I'm at right now, like I'm enjoying the the slow pace of of kind of meandering through a, a commentator that I really like. So, yeah. Um, I think I think for I think there's a huge difference depending on where people are spiritually though too you know so I mean I have read the Bible in its entirety somewhere between six and ten times maybe maybe more yeah. I can't even remember yeah, wow which I mean that that but a lot of that comes from spiritual arrogance there was a time where mm-hmm. I put a you know a feather in my own cap for reading through it in a year or in a semester sure. yep but there is also something to be said for being able to slow down and and pause in a book or on a passage that works right. better when you know what the rest of the bible says. Yep. It yep. doesn't work as well if you've never read Ezekiel or you've never read Lamentations or you've never read, you know, second Kings because because yeah. you don't know the whole story. So I think it's really important for for people to to get the whole story and then branch off from there. Uh Yeah, exactly. Uh, the whole thing kind of gives context to the yeah you know, the small part that you're, that you're lingering on for a while. So, um, yeah, for sure. I I think, you know, I think for me too, like just the value of, of being in it every day, you know, not that it's law, not that it, you know, it's like the end of the world if I can't, but, um, you know, to be, to be in that almost every day has been, um, a really good thing. And I think that a lot of the plans can, can kind of keep you on task that way. So, um, I, I see a lot of value in that too, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's an adventure pipe reading. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's not, I wish, I wish I could say that it was, but it is, I guess it is when you're like, when you're convicted of sin, you know, it's like, boy, this is, this is painful. This is, the Bible's, you know, the Bible's a lot more adventurous than going to work. That's for sure. Dude, it is. That's so true. Or going to college, for sure. It's, it's way more adventurous than both of those things. Absolutely. Well, Pipe, I am. Uh, I'm going to sign off here and uh, and go live some adventures of my own. That's right. Go, that, go, I mean, go have a vacation called. I'm sorry, an adventure called vacation. Dude, right. By that I mean I'm going to walk down to the beach and then find some place to have dinner. So, <laughs> two very adventurous things in and of themselves. Um, but this has been fun, man. As always, we have live in Louisville too coming up. So, um, it's getting to be crunch time for people to get their tickets. Um, we kind of saved the promos to the end here today, but they can go to happyrampodcast.com, 
where they can get tickets to Live in Louisville 2 together for the rants, or they can purchase some Ligaris Roasters coffee. So uh, official coffee of the Happy Rant podcast. Uh, Ligaris Roasters is booming in uh, in their business. They're expanding here locally in Jackson. And, and they've uh, expanded proud. into tea now as well, I think. Dude, right. And I know nothing about tea, dude. So, Heck Ligaris was low-key disappointed in me. I could, I could tell. Like, and I, I, I love Heck. Heck is – he is exotic, and he his life is full of adventure and intrigue and romance. But um, Yeah, like real, could, real adventure where he travels yeah. to places and does amazing things. And does amazing things and, like, swashbuckles through the groves, like, inspecting, you know, coffee beans and whatnot. But um, I could tell that he handed me these teas and, and – I didn't know what to do with them because they weren't in a little baggie that said sleepy time. Like for me, tea, having tea is, is an exercise in heating up a cup of water and dunking a little thing of sleepy time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, loose that, leaf tea for like – it's for like tea aficionados. Dude, and, right. Uh, tea so yeah. hipster aficionado. It looks like the kind of thing you roll into a rolling paper and light on fire, you know, but, but it's tea. <laughs> So it's amazing. The one that he sent me with a sample, and honestly, I haven't even looked at the website to see if it's up. But it was uh, so it's it's like a Happy Ranch signature tea, and it was called a Lumberjack Black, and it was so it was like yeah. a strong black tea, and there was it had a very um, it had a very like evergreen flavor to it. Dude, right? Very masculine, very evergreen. Okay, so Absolute. here's the thing: I don't really dig tea because because yeah. uh, most of the tea that is served, I find is like. It's very floral and herbal sure. or yeah. uh, it's just disgusting like Earl Grey yep. is gross. Um, but this was th- – this this was like the coffee of teas. The coffee of teas. Dude, that should be the tagline for Hecla Gars. I love so it. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I should probably yeah. – I told him it was good but I need to follow up with him and tell him that I finished all of what he had sent me and it was excellent. I love it, man. The coffee of teas. There it is. Uh, visit happyrampodcast.com. Get yourself the coffee of teas or the coffee of coffee. Yeah, uh, that's Gars, also excellent. I, I drank some of that this morning. Dude, I drink it every morning religiously, pardon the pun. Even though this is a Christian podcast, I do drink it religiously, and I love it. So, uh, Piper, we have done what we always do on this program. We've wandered to and fro throughout these topics. And until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Do you want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith? Hi, this is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Podcast Show. Listen to us weekly as we bring the truth often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of local church. Join me along with many of the nation's top theologians as we offer answers to life tough questions from an apologetic perspective. Subscribe to the show at lifeaudio.com.